0: We have an open eye, an open mind, um, but we know that the programs will be wonderful no matter the format. That's what we do. We've done it for 38 years. We want those young folks to to have a transformational experience and we're going to do our best to provide it no matter what the health guidelines are at that point.
1: Welcome to the Vermont Conversation. When Vermont schools shifted to remote learning a year ago, so too did the state's oldest and largest enrichment program. The Governor's Institutes of Vermont runs 11 institutes focused on topics ranging from math, health sciences, the arts, to current issues. These programs are typically held on the campuses of nine Vermont colleges. But last summer and this summer, the governors' institutes of Vermont shifted to remote learning. Over ten thousand Vermont high school students have attended the governors' institutes of Vermont. Founded nearly forty years ago, founded nearly forty years ago, the governors' institutes of Vermont is the oldest governor's school in the country. In January this year, a new director took over the governors' institutes of Vermont and is helping to steer it through the pandemic. She comes with an unusual resume. Elizabeth Frascoya is a Vermont native and professional jazz trombonist and singer who has performed with pop stars like Michael Bolton and on Saturday Night Live, American Idol, The Tonight Show and at Carnegie Hall and Lincoln Center, to name just a few. She is an alumna of the Governor's Institutes of Vermont and has returned to become the fifth executive director in its history. I began by asking Elizabeth Frascoya to explain exactly what the Governor's Institutes of Vermont is.
0: Sure thing. Uh, so the Governor's Institutes of Vermont was founded way back in 1982, um, partially out of the Vermont Arts Council, and, and is just founded by a wonderful group of folks, including Christine Graham and Ellen McCulloch- Ellen McCulloch-Level, excuse me. And it's so it's been almost 40 years now, and we've been serving Vermont high school students that whole time, offering transformative learning opportunities on college campuses all around the state, and it's just for Vermont students. So it's a really special thing. Someone can come and dive into a topic that they love and find peers and mentors and support. For following their path, whether that be the arts or engineering or mathematics, and on and on.
1: So explain, um, and and I confess I know more than I'm asking because my daughter attended the Governor's <laughs> Institute, so I actually know uh, how impactful it is. Uh, but for the benefit of our listeners, explain how this works. It's it's all over the state. In normal time, exactly. so you can talk about yes. normal time. <laughs> we'll distinguish. Sure.
0: Well, in normal times, um, we run uh, eight to 10 institutes at different college campuses around the the state. So that, you know, ranges from Norwich University, Champlain College, Castleton, um, and on and on. We have a lot of wonderful partners. Um, And students come for a week to two weeks, and they have a roommate. It's a great chance to experience independent college life and really get a get a sense of, you know, what would they like to do with the next chapter of their life as they graduate from high school and go on to new things. Um, in COVID times, um, so obviously everyone in 2020 pivoted to online learning, and uh, that was a great challenge, but luckily we were fortunate to have Um, a really wonderful staff who was up for it and wonderful resilient young people who dove in and said I don't know how this is going to be but I'm willing to take on the challenge Um, and we had a great success so students joined again for one to two weeks and it's not all just looking at a screen um, not you know not just sitting at home but really we wanted to translate the experience of these institutes to the online format and that meant Um, continuing with the hands-on portion, the interactive portion. So they might spend a little time with the whole group getting some framework and instruction and then going off and making a painting or testing the quality of their local stream, the water quality. So they actually were mailed kits. It was really fun. Um, They were mailed a box of materials um, to do with the topic, whether that be microcontrollers at our Technology and Design Institute or water quality test kits for the Environmental Science Institute, um, and on and on, paints. I mean, everything. They went out to the students, and uh, students had almost like an unboxing experience with their cohort, and then used those tools and did incredible hands-on research, collaborated with their peers across the state, and brought it back. So there's a lot of still that that give and take of student-directed, fun learning um, that isn't just taking in information. We really want it to be a conversation.
1: So talk about what it will be like this summer. Are you still anticipating it will be all virtual?
0: Yes, we are running virtual programs and applications are open right now at giv.org. And um, we're running eight institutes. Um, we're actually calling them immersions because it's a little bit different than being on a campus with us, but you know, we're missing that residential aspect. But we found actually the community building was uh, maybe not quite to the level of an in-person institute, but more than we expected. Um, students really dove in and our staff still you know, know how to create that atmosphere of support and um, a community where it's okay to make a mistake and to ask a silly question and that that is where learning comes from. So we're running institutes rather immersions on the arts, on engineering on entrepreneurship on environmental science and technology. You have one on global issues and youth action, health and medicine, mathematical sciences and technology and design. So eight incredible fields. I think there's something for any passionate, curious young person in Vermont. Hmm. Now this
1: is gonna be interesting because by this summer, if the governor (laughs) is correct, most if not all people will be vaccinated. Will it allow for any sort of hybrid, you know, getting together that you may not have, you know, you may not be able to plan for right now, but it could be possible?
0: Yeah, it's such a great question, David. I mean, this is probably every person who runs a program is wrestling with this exact same question right now, or school or any, anything where you're saying, what does the future hold? Um, We know that, you know, young people won't be vaccinated by that point. Um, You know, we do hope that um, the, the age limit will come down in Vermont, and we've seen that over the past few weeks of, you know, starting at 75 and 70, and, you know, we're down and down. Um, so we really do hope that folks who can take advantage of that are vaccinated. Um, certainly will be um, open to that possibility, but we know that we can run an incredible program that's online, and that, again, it isn't just totally you know, sitting in front of a screen and receiving information like that's really not what it's about. It's it's about that interactivity and those hands-on components and um, making those connections. Um, so we hope you know we're we have a, an open eye and open mind, um, but we know that the programs will be wonderful no matter the format. That's what we do. We've done it for 38 years, so we'll see. You know, if we want to. We want those young folks to to have a transformational experience, and we're going to do our best to provide it no matter what the health guidelines are at that point.
1: You know, one of the things that um, interested me was the impact that Governor's Institute has, and you've actually done some studies um, I was seeing on your website. Um, Can you say a little bit about what you know to be Uh, the impact of this. This is not your average summer experience. Um, And, you know, I know from my own daughter, it was really pretty life-changing for her. She attended the Current Issues um, uh, Institute, which is held in Brattleboro, the School for International Training. Um, And it was just a transformative experience for her. But I I wonder if you could sort of broaden that to see what you understand about the long-term effect of it.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's wonderful. lead Leiden, uh, it's so wonderful to hear about your daughter's experience. We hear this everywhere. In fact, I even was on the phone chatting with a, a Department of Health hotline nurse today, asking some of those same questions you just asked me. Um, and her son was also a current issues graduate um, from 2008. And she told me she caught me up on his life. And, it, you know, I think there are a lot of stories around the state where folks are a personal connection to the governor's institutes of vermont um we did a study when we turned 30 years old and it showed that students alumni who had been at the institutes up to 30 years later was saying it still was impacting their life their career choice you know how they felt about it they still felt looking back that it was a transformational experience a turning point in their own journey and i'm I'm actually an alum myself and i feel that way Um, when i was 15 i went to the arts institute and then a few years later i went to the math institute um, because you know they're exactly linked (laughs) Um, and i felt like both of those were such i can still think back to moments from each of those experiences where i said oh i didn't realize that math went into geology or wastewater treatment like these these fields that i just didn't connect together and especially with the arts I've spent much of my professional career as a musician and going to the Arts Institute allowed me to find other students around the state who just cared so passionately and and lived and breathed music in the same way that I did. And and I had a few of those folks in my school, my hometown, but not in that way where it was just this uplifting sort of um, leveling up kind of energy where I found... My peers and I found support, and I found some skills that I then drew on for many, many years. I, I still draw on them to this day, and, and I became a professional musician. And you know, well, let's not everyone talk has a that bit. exact path, but it's it's a wonderful thing to to look back to.
1: But your uh, your career path that led you to Governors Institute is not uh, exactly a straight line. Um, so, you were uh, you grew up in Woodstock. Just just walk us through a little of your meandering and musical journey.
0: It, it has been a slight meander, but I I see it all connecting back. Um, so yes, I grew up in Woodstock, Vermont, and uh, attended Woodstock High School, and as I said, attended the Governor's Institute on the Arts, and I thought that I would do music, but I also really love science. And I ended up going to Harvard University and studying psychology and neuroscience and talking about um, how uh, tamarind monkeys make decisions about what is food and what is not food. I mean, who knows, who knows where your path will lead. So um, I still dream about the monkeys. Um, <laughs> so I, I spent some time there and, and I, when I graduated from Harvard I was interested in, again, staying connected with music, and I moved to New York City. And over the course of the last 20 years, I've worked for a number of startup technology companies, um, all sort of meandering around, and also have had a career as a professional musician. So sort of dovetailing those two, where I do really love to serve folks and help them navigate changing technologies and changing worlds, And um, and I love to perform and I love to teach. So I traveled the world um, with folks like Michael Bolton, Saint Vincent. Um, I've been on a lot of, you know, some of the national TV shows that you'd recognize, like American Idol and Saturday Night Live, and you know, incredible experiences. Um, I just feel so fortunate to have had that sort of ticket to the world and gotten to meet folks you know, from South America to Russia and all all places in between.
1: Now you have, uh, and this is unusual for a professional musician. You have two instruments, you're a trombonist <laughs> and you're a vocalist. Yes. Um, and primarily jazz. So how did that end up, uh, happening that you just do both? And also trombone is not the most common instrument <laughs> for women. So talk a little bit about, um, that choice as well.
0: Sure thing. Well, I, I love jazz. It's something I grew up around. My father is a bass player and trombone player. I didn't think I would play the trombone because just exactly because my dad played trombone. I said, I need to do something different, but it was the instrument that called to me uh, when they came around with the choices in like fifth grade band, they said, you can play this. There's what a clarinet sounds like. Here's what a whatever sounds like. And I said, oh, but that the trombone was speaking to me. So uh, you're right. It, I'm, it's it's less common these days for a, to see a woman playing a, a brass instrument, particularly the trombone. But that's something I'm actually very passionate about changing um, the visibility of. And there are more than just me. A lot of people say, you're the only one I know. And I say, well, I'm not the only one I know. And <laughs> Let me give you a list of some wonderful other musicians. Um, so I've made it part of my educational mission when I. Um, Am I, even when I'm just performing, but particularly when I go into a school and work with a band or give a presentation about jazz history or jazz improvisation, it's very important that they see a mixture of gender identities and racial identities in the band to so see, see themselves um, up there and, and know that their path is possible.
1: Tell us a little bit about the life of a performing musician, you know, on the road, Traveling around, uh, doing gigs, really all around the world. What is that like?
0: It's exciting, and it's also way less glamorous than it sounds in actuality. (laughs) It is super glamorous and on some level, Um, but it's also a lot of hard work. Um, You know, they don't show the uh, you know five a.m. hotel lobby call. Uh, sort of dragging yourself and making sure you're doing everything as you're supposed to do. Um, You know, it's a, it's a job about showing up on time and and getting things done and working together as a team. You know, you play your part in the band and that's your part. You know, you've got to make sure that you're doing it, whether you're the leader or someone's in a supporting role. Um, But, you know, it's been such a joy to travel. Um, There was a trip actually that was, um, I don't know if you know George Boland, He's a a musician in the Burlington area, and also a trombone player. Um, And he put together a band. uh, Burlington's sister city in Russia is Yaroslavl. It's about five hours northeast of Moscow. And we took a wonderful band um, to there about 10 years ago, and represented Vermont uh, for their jazz festival, and had these incredible performances and um, cultural exchange. It was really about cultural exchange and you know, showing, um, showing folks there who we were and learning about them. And, uh, I think that's, that's been a through line, not just in music for me, but, you know, with the governor's institutes of Vermont, it is that like exchange, like you want to meet someone with a different perspective. You want to enhance what, you know, and grow.
1: You also taught a month long workshop in Ecuador. Uh, tell us a little bit about that.
0: Oh, that's a wonderful experience. Um, Ecuador is a a vibrant, um, noisy, beautiful, um, fragrant place. (laughs) Um, It was an honor to be there. I was there with a a colleague of mine um, named Jesse Newman, who's a trumpet player. And he and I went down and and lived there for a month and taught brass um, brass lessons, like direct trumpet and trombone lessons. And then we taught um, ensemble classes. Uh, We taught, uh, improvisation. It was primarily students at a school of age like four to 25, so a pretty wide range of ages, um, and those folks were very engaged in classical music, and in fact the school has gone on to do some wonderful things um, and has connections with a lot of the classical world, but it's also a very poor place, and the students had very little money, um, And so it was just a real privilege to be able to be in that environment. Also teaching in Spanish was a challenge. That was a fun thing to do. (laughs) I Mm -hmm. was like learning all my my Spanish vocabulary specific to music.
1: Are you still performing?
0: I am, yes. Um, In fact, last summer did some distanced outdoor concerts uh, in Woodstock, Vermont and uh, Lebanon, New Hampshire. So hopefully that will happen again. Um, and then, you know, the other, the the music business is in a tough spot right now, you know, live performances, it's a tricky thing these days. Um, but hopefully, you know, like everything, we'll get back to sort of the new normal and be able to share that.
1: What uh, do you hear from your colleagues in, you know, the performing arts are, are some of the people who you used to play with, are they leaving the music world because of the pressures that COVID has created?
0: no they're not leaving the the musicians i know are uh, resilient folks and creative scrappy folks and they're going to figure it out no matter what they may not have a lot of savings so i think it's kind of called up a reckoning of what are the structures how do we support each other how do we take care of folks who have made their living you know kind of week to week in a way that we can support in a different way there's an interesting club in New York city called Smalls. don't know if you know it, but they, um, they have an archive streaming site and for $10 a month, you join that and you have access to their archives and the money goes to the musicians who performed on those shows. So I think people are starting to think about different models, but the folks I know are, are in it for the long haul. You know, people, if you're a musician, you are a musician. (laughs) Kind of can't help it. What do
1: you feel like you got from, what it from being a musician uh, and that's not past tense uh, but you know the just the kind of focused study that goes into being a musician that carries over into other aspects of your life because i'm sure there are people listening who wonder well you know i'm not going to go into music so why spend so much time you know honing my craft how would you answer that
0: i think that i would say to them that if you love something or are curious about it, it's always worthwhile to pursue it and to learn more about it. I think you learn more about yourself when you study music. Um, I think there's a difference between uh, playing for yourself and playing in a group setting. Um, Certainly I love to play for myself, um, but I, my real passion is that communication through music and Being with an audience or being in a band and having the give and take and sort of the conversation that's going on. Um, So, I'd say one of the biggest skills that comes out of learning music is learning to sort of hear those different parts and how you fit into it. Um, Kind of like what we were talking about before, but you know, finding your place in the ensemble, whether that's a you know, actual musical ensemble or more of a metaphor. I think music teaches so many lessons along those lines that of course I would always recommend to do it.
1: Well, it's an interesting question and one that I have a a connection to, because I grew up thinking I would be a professional classical musician. I'm a clarinetist and I did Mm -hmm. not end up being a professional musician, but I have always felt like the years that I spent practicing and being self-critical and the mm-hmm. self-discipline that it took yeah. for me to get to a very high level at that is what enabled me to do what I do for the rest of my life, which is that I've been you know, a freelancer, so nobody tells me what to do, but uh, whether it's <laughs> journalism, um, but still it was those from a very young age having to discipline myself, having to criticize my own work that's what I've spent the rest of my life doing. So I see tremendous value, you know, it, whether you go continue on into music, which I discovered as a woodwind player is very difficult because there's only two- Do you two play cla- it all now? Yes, I do. I yeah, continue okay. to play in amateur orchestras, different, several amateur orchestras. I play in klezmer groups. Mm. So um, it is very different than the strict classical upbringing that my teachers <laughs> imagined. But um, I can imagine that uh, my, my teacher who is uh, passed away some time ago would be sort of smiling at all this and, and uh, would be sort of amused.
0: Well, um, I see it as just a tool for connection and joy. You know, you're accessing something inside yourself and you're able to connect with others. So that's beautiful that you're able to do that and weave it into your life.
1: Yeah. So what do you tell um, kids now, you know, I, I love your journey because, you know, you, you study neuroscience, then you kind of take a right turn <laughs> and pivot and, you know, you graduate college and go and get a master's degree in music, um, become a performing artist and then returning to Vermont. And, um, you also just mentioned that you, uh, bought your parents home, the home you grew up yeah. in, um, That's a pretty unusual thing to return to your childhood home. What is that like?
0: Um, It is. uh, It's funny because I can kind of see myself at all my life stages. You know, as I turn a corner, I I have memories of myself at all these ages in in the space, the physical space. Um, It's such a gift. Um, My parents are are here. They're around. They're in White River Junction. um, So they're not far away and I'm in Woodstock. Um, And I'm finding out what it is to have it be mine my space or what I want to do with it um, what you know our family wants to do with it Um, so that's going to be a work in progress and certainly something that's just beginning on that journey but it's such a joy to be home Um, I think Vermont even when I was uh, an undergraduate student at Harvard I was searching for the community that I knew was possible from growing up in a small town in Vermont and I think that that's always something that I want to be able to provide. I'm getting chills right now, but I'm like, um, I want to provide for a young person, um, and so that's why it's really meaningful to come home. Um, I'm not coming home as the same person who left, you know. And I've had all these other experiences, and I want to integrate that and bring them in, um, and I want to be able to um, have an impact and provide the worldview and opportunity for other young people growing up in Vermont to decide who they want to be.
1: Okay. Well, and also what is the deadline for Governor's (laughs) Institute applications?
0: So um, Governor's Institutes of Vermont, the applications are open right now at giv.org and the deadline is uh, April 1st is our priority deadline. Um, So go online right now, check it out.
1: Okay. Well, Elizabeth Praskoia, I want to thank you for joining us this week on the Vermont Conversation.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Elizabeth Praskoia is the Executive Director of the Governor's Institute of Vermont. That does it for this week's Vermont Conversation. You can hear this in all shows at vtdigger.org slash Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. Thanks so much for listening.